what do you call an end-to-end algorithm in the context of pre-scan, scan, and post-scan, where we already have an end-to-end algorithm? Adam has his hand up. Apparently, it's obvious. Omniscan. <laughs> Omniscan. What does Omni mean? Pre and post. <laughs> so we have this in BQN and K, and we just call it scan. Welcome to another episode of ArrayCast. My name is Connor, and today with us we've got four panelists plus a returning guest just from a couple weeks or episodes ago. Before we get into introducing him and talking about our topic today, we'll go around and do brief introductions. We'll start with Stephen, then go to Bob, then go to Adam, and then go to Marshall. Hi, I'm Stephen Taylor. I'm an APL and Q programmer. I'm Bob Terrio. I'm a J enthusiast, and I've been playing with Fold. And I'm Adam Potsevsky. I'm an APL programmer. I'm Marshall Lockbaum. I've been an a, uh, been a J programmer, worked at Dialog APL at Dialog, and uh, now work on BQN. And as mentioned before, my name's Connor. I'm a polyglot programmer with a huge passion and enthusiasm for all array languages, and super excited to talk about our topic today. But before we get to that, I believe Bob is one announcement that he's going to share with us. I do, and and it's it's one of these ones. It's it's certainly sad. Although you celebrate a person's life, I think when they pass away, you don't try and dwell on the fact that you're going you've lost them. But uh, Lenore Mullen, who is one of the people that's developed mathematics of arrays, a very interesting person, and I hope at one point to get her on the show, had mentioned Luther J. Woodrum to me, and uh, last week she sent me an email and said that Luther J. Woodrum had passed away at the age of eighty three on March eighth, twenty twenty three. Well, who is Luther J. Woodrum, you might ask? Well, he was a guy who worked at IBM, and he contributed immensely to the field of computer programming. He secured patents both for himself and IBM on the Radix sorting method. He made key contributions to APL and innovations to the architecture of IBM's System 370. As a personal note, uh, Luther knew how to entertain a crowd while singing and dancing at karaoke. He inhaled books, all types, and was a lover of knowledge. He was also an aficionado of science fiction, both books and shows from Star Trek to The Witcher. And condolences to his whole family. I'm, I'm sure it's, it's a very sad time for them and our hearts go out to them. And uh, I hope they can come to enjoy the memories of Luther as a, as a life, I think, very well lived and a uh, very interesting person. And unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to put him on the podcast, and I think that's up to me. So I apologize for that. It would have been nice to have actually had him on as a guest and, and, and talk, but we've, we've lost that opportunity. Yeah, I, on a personal note, to have a family funeral that I'll be going to in about a month, and they're calling it a, a celebration of life because it's these things are always, you know, bittersweet. It's both uh, sort of emotional when someone passes, but you're trying to celebrate their life and all the ways they've uh, touched their loved ones and friends around them. So, yeah, thoughts go out to their family and friends. With that, we will transition to introducing uh, our runaway guest with the number of appearances on this show. I think it's a distant second now because this, I believe, is the fourth appearance by Henry Rich, uh, we've recapped a couple different times when we've had him on episode six, our first guest ever, then episode 18. Then I don't even have the number because the APL uh, wiki for a Raycast isn't up to date. And the last person that we have was uh, Leslie Goldsmith. So I'm assuming it's episode 49 or 50. I don't even know. Um, but this will be the fourth time appearing. I guess the last time was 
two episodes ago. If you've been listening since the beginning, you know Henry is our resident J expert and does a ton of work on the J source uh, code base, which is where J comes from. And today we're going to be talking about, I think it was kind of a topic that I brought up, although it was initially put on my radar by Henry at one point when we had you on and you mentioned that fold, which is this sort of, I actually don't know what kind of primitive you call it because you have to do a little install, you know, quote, GitHub colon, J source slash dev underscore fold in order to get it working on your uh, local instance of J or even if you're on the J playground. So we'll, we'll leave a link in the show notes to a little code snippet if you want to, you know, if you happen to be in front of a computer and you want to play around with us while we're talking about this topic. Uh, so yeah, we're going to be talking about all the different flavors of fold today. So I'll stop talking and maybe just throw it over to Henry and you can, as I, I believe you were the one that implemented, give us a sort of high level overview and then we can hop into a discussion of sort of what you can do with this and uh, why it's useful. Yes, I implemented it and what's worth, I designed it. <laughs> gives gives me a great appreciation for the brilliance of Ken Iverson and those who've gone before in language design. Even something as simple as this is easy to mess up. I, I don't think you have to do anything special to use Fold in a ordinary J application. It comes pretty bundled. J Playground. Really? Yeah. J Playground, maybe. Uh, the, the reason you have to have something is because the primitive is implemented in J. Uh, so when you when you use it, it actually calls a J script to do the work. Uh, that's so that it can be fixed if there are bugs. Uh, and if, if there's, um, as it gets taken up, uh, it'll eventually be migrated into native C code. Um, uh, but it, yeah, it should be part of the standard install now. Uh, a fold is a conjunction, in which in J means it takes two verbs as its argument. So you'd say U fold V, and that combination defines a verb, which is J speak for a program uh, that that operates according to the rules of fold. The the idea with these conjunctions, this is this is just the latest in a long line of uh, things that APL has added uh, to do useful stuff. But what what these conjunctions do is attempt to encapsulate uh, something useful about programming into a small space. In this case, just one word, like capital F dot. This has a long history in the APL languages. So if you go back to the 1962 book, which is where I picked up APL, there were verbs like plus and minus, but then you could derive a new verb with plus slash, which does a reduction because Ken recognized that that was a useful idea. And you could go even farther. You could go plus slash backslash, which would give you a running sum, which is sort of like a reduction, except you keep all the individual, the, the, the running total. You keep all, not just the, the beginning number and the total, but all the totals in between. I think I got to back up there because that's in J, but in APL, it is just plus backslash. Uh, you're, you're right. Sorry. Quite right. Uh, yeah, the, I'm not sure. I know it eventually got introduced, but I'm not sure if in the earliest APL versions you could actually um, apply like two operators. Like I can't think of a case where that would have happened. No, no, you're right. You're right. It was just a backslash. Uh, yeah, that was Ken figured out later that 
it really should should be two separate operators, and he made it that way. But the the, um, the point is, he recognized this pattern of running some, and uh, made it a primitive of the language. Uh, another thing along that line is the the axis concept, where you can apply an operator along a chosen axis. Um, the, these are attempts to, and successful attempts, to to discern important programming features and to give them notation. I, I would say another example of genius is the, the grade primitive. To, to recognize that grade, as opposed to just sort, is the true primitive was real genius. And that, I think that does go all the way back to the beginning. Um, I, I, as an aside, I, I was thinking, what other programming languages have this approach to uh, to making programming easier? Uh, are there any? There, the, the languages I know best are the block-oriented languages like C, which I know quite well, and C++, which I know somewhat. And I, they're they're in a different league. They're not C is not a programming language, really. It's a a language for telling the computer what to do. Yeah, I think there is kind of a widespread belief, even in the functional languages, that to um, that to break something down, you have to uh, you you never break it apart into into two things that are kind of equal in size, but you always break it into components and start looking at smaller aspects of the input. So, um, I mean, even in a functional language, if if you ask someone to to simplify fold, they would say, well, what you actually want is to look at a linked list and and you have the operation that takes the um, that takes the head of the list and the the tail of the list, everything else. Um, but that's not uh, in my view, yeah, that's not actually cleaner. It's just uh, the the component is not really simpler. it's smaller. Um, yes, yeah, exactly. that c c lets you work very well with individual atoms and um, everything everything else is up to you this, this is not this is not a programming language this is a a, a very good machine language I, I think of what does c do for me that really changes the way i think about programming and i say while and for are very useful constructs and structures are a, a very good way of keeping data in mind and that's all i can come up with well, i guess the question is here like so earlier you asked what what other programming languages make things easier so like the, my in my head i was like well what does the word easier mean and then when defining what is and isn't a programming language i guess my question is like what is a programming language here because in the broader sense of i think the way that the industry uses it like c is definitely a programming language there's no debating that but i think in the sense that you're using the word programming language you're tying slightly different semantics to 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 the discussion that's happening at the moment it it, it is it helps you think right well yeah well it helps you think and it helps you implement your algorithm the, the primitives recognized by the APL family are, it, it turns out, with them, you can describe your algorithm in an executable notation. I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that maybe we shouldn't be saying APL, maybe we should be saying TPL, the programming language. The others are computer languages. 
TPL, TPL is the way you express algorithms rather than just how to push numbers around. Or if you want, we can generalize and maybe TPL would stand for true programming languages. Again. I'm hearing I'm hearing Toronto Public Library every single time you say that. <laughs> okay. I do believe there's a tensor programming language already. Uh quite right. But wasn't it Iverson that when they asked him what they should call the notation, it'd just be the notation, not Iverson's notation. As is it after all, you don't call it God's grass, just grass. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, right. And and same thing here. But I can I can see this. it should be famous by now to the listen to Connor's listeners. Uh, that adjacent differences is a bad name for for pairwise. Right? Well, I don't like I don't like the word pairwise either. Um, or whatever you yeah. want to call it, endwise maybe, uh, windows. Whatever, whatever, but but something that that is you get a tool in the hand that looks like or is named like something that helps you to use it the right way. It's it's almost like adjacent differences. It's a hammer. It says screwdriver on its side. Right. Or maybe it's not the right, really the right analogy. It's a it's a general purpose screwdriver that has all the different bits, and then it says Phillips screwdriver on the side, right? as if it could only do one thing. Uh, but you can actually do any adjacent anything with it. It doesn't have to be differences. And so here too, you're saying, well, there's not much being provided in C or even C plus plus that helps you to think about the problems and actually get down to solving the tests you have to solve yeah I, I think that's the that's maybe the essence is that i mean yes the the tools that c provides are simpler i mean if like the what it gives you for working with arrays is basically take the element at this location and put the element at this location um and yes those are simpler than a primitive like grade but actually using a primitive like grade once you come to understand it ends up being a lot simpler um and you don't have all these complications of, um, of you know, well, what if I put this value here, but then there's another someone else who has an array which this is, which this array is only a subpart of. Do they see the change that I made and all that sort of stuff? Which is, I mean, that's very much computer thinking instead of algorithms thinking. Um, but. I think even even outside of the languages like C, which are intended to be computer oriented, even in mathematical stuff like Haskell. Now Haskell's not that bad, but you still see a sort of inclination to say, well, what this really is is the smallest parts that make it up. This is really something that's looking at each element of a list individually and doing recursion or whatever to to traverse the list, um, instead of saying, well, I have this entity, this primitive, that could be implemented in terms of small parts in various ways. But um, it feels like it's, uh, I've actually discovered something that's that's real in its own right that has an existence outside of how I might define it. I, I definitely don't think of the lower parts of the primitives when I use them. They're just my vocabulary. Yes, that, that, yeah, that's the point. That it, it, it's somewhat analogous to the matrices in mathematics. That you know, if if you use matrices a lot, you stop thinking about them as being numbers, and you stop thinking of row and element times column element, and you deal with the whole matrix <clears throat> with the TPLs. We deal with the whole whole problem. I mean, we've talked about C, which, like you say, is at a very low level, but I would say even object programming 
uh, which is a very high level, is that is useful for programming. But I would say at a project management level, it, it allows me to break a big problem into smaller parts, but it doesn't really do all that much to helping me implement a part. Templates in C++, uh, which I have just a passing knowledge of, it seem to be similar to the uh, constructs of, of um, APL and J, but uh, immensely more cumbersome to use. So we've got these, these uh, in, in APL, we call them dyadic operators. In J, we call, they call them conjunctions. They're part of this higher order, set of higher order functions that we have in the array programming languages. Um, fold or reduce or whatever you want to insert when you want to call it and scan. Well, they, yeah, there's a whole list of them. You know, in the beginning, there was reduce and scan. And I don't know what order later on these were discovered, but the power conjunction uh, allows you to, it, it's you uh, power n, where n's a number. It could be v if you need to compute the number, but u power n says apply the verb u n times. Very elegant, but uh, extremely important because first it gives you, you can think of it as an if statement. If n is zero, you've applied the verb no times. So you that's the, uh, the false branch of the if. If n is one, you apply the verb one time. In other words, you did it, the if was true. And if n is infinite, uh, that means apply the verb forever. Well, what does that mean? It can only make sense to say apply the verb until the result doesn't change. So think of that as converge. Unless you have side effects that you want to achieve. Right, right. right. And, if it, like a game loop or something like that. You actually want to keep going even though nothing changes. Right, yep. and you you wouldn't, you, you probably would just do that with a loop. Uh, I guess it goes beyond without saying that in all these, we're thinking mostly in terms of functional programming. We're trying to come up with a language that's largely functional and side effects are up to you. But anyway, so the power conjunction is an example of another one of these programming patterns that was discovered. And that was, I think, pretty late. Uh, as far as I know, it was introduced by NARS. I don't know if uh, it was Jim Brown that came up with it or someone else, but um, NARS had the, the star diaresis notation that's used in APL and the, pretty much the current definition. Okay, cool. Uh, the rank concept itself, uh, well, there, there are several uh, patterns that involve applying a verb on selected portions of an argument. There's, there's rank, uh, wherein the portions are simply the cells of the argument uh, in a very symmetric way. Uh, then there's the cut pattern, which applies the verb to contiguous portions of the array where the, the starting points are indicated by another argument. Uh, and then there's the key pattern, which applies the verb to non-contiguous subsets of the array that are extracted according to another argument. And all those, it, I, a key to me is a stroke of genius on the order of grade. I, I would not have realized how valuable key is, but it just comes up a lot. This is, you know, whoever figured that one out, 
really did come across a primitive of programming. Um, and then we have recursion, you know, another uh, primitive, which is, is given a symbol. <laughs> anyway, with, with if, you, if you take all these different combinations together, uh, they do most of what you need to do in writing a program. I mean, most of, most of the, the iterative things where you want to apply for more than once, perhaps on the entire array, perhaps on items, yada, yada. That, al that almost covers the field, but there is uh, one type of repeated computation that it doesn't uh, handle very well, and that's what Fold is aimed at. And this computation is when you want to apply each item of an array in turn to some global state. So I have I have an array and I want to take the first item, do something to it, the second item, do something, use that to do something to the global state and continue on through all the items. It was noted fairly early that in J at least, I guess it's, you, this is true, it'd be true in APL too, a scan does something rather like that. In, in a scan, uh, if say, if say you're uh, just adding up the numbers one, two, three, and you, you're doing a reverse scan, you take you start with three, and then you add two, which gives five, and then you add one, which gives six. And in that case, the, the state that I'm talking about is the total. Uh, and you can use scan to produce that total and reveal all the intermediate state at all points along the way. That's what the scan is really doing. So in some cases, you can use that to, uh, to, to do the thing that I was talking about, which is repeated application of the items to the state. But there are some problems with that. Uh, the first is that because of the right to left orientation of, of uh, Jay's uh, operator execution, it, it only really works simply if you go right to left. If you go left to right, you have to add the first two items. Well, addition, take subtraction in this example. If I look at one minus two minus three in APL or J, what is that? Now that's a, that's a test for the viewers. What is one minus two minus three? Uh, it sounds like it ought to be minus four, right? But it's not because the execution is right to left. Two minus three is minus one and one minus minus one is two. So you can't simply go left to right and get the correct answer. Which means that as defined, a forward scan would require, it just wouldn't answer the mail at all. It, it would not be repeated application of the state, it would be repeated application from the ground up. Okay, you can get around that. You can say, okay, we'll just do reverse scans and if we want to go front to back, we'll reverse the, the argument and go right to left end and then reverse the result. Okay, we can live with that. Um, this, the, second pro, the second problem um, is that the, the initial value 
there's no initial state in scan. In in scan, the initial state is the identity element of whatever the operator is. So that if you're doing a running sum, the, the identity element for addition is zero. And you say, okay, we're going to start this sum. And it's as if we started by adding the three to the zero and then the two and the one. But suppose you have a different initial value. Suppose your initial state is not empty. Well, now you have a problem because to make this fit into the, uh, the, the mold of a scan, you would need to make your state the last element of the vector. And that means it serves two masters. It's both an input to the computation and an output of the computation, which means that if in general, uh, you, you can't use anything other than a box. So you end up, in general, you have to box all the items of your array and then take the initial value and box that. You don't have that, that issue in the APL though because you can concatenate any values. Well, that's good. Well, I mean, it's still, it's just nested instead of boxed. Yeah, but some, but you can always just concatenate the values that you want. Let, let's see that something I, I do occasionally is I want to iterate over all the X's. So my X's are, uh, is the range of all the dimensions, so just numbers. And then there's some actual array that's multidimensional, probably with as many dimensions as the leading elements there. I can concatenate those numbers, the excess numbers, with the enclosure of the entire array. That's not allowed in J, because that would be a list of numbers concatenated with a box. You have to now box everything. Right. Every element has to be boxes. But I mean, it's still ugly that you're forming this this wildly inhomogeneous array, where for sure it's just slightly uh, easier to use. You don't have to to mangle the actual yeah. elements in order to make it work. Yeah, I, yes. In that case, your the ability to have the inhomogeneous array uh, would that would solve this this issue. Uh, like like Marshall says, though, it is ugly. Um, and, and potentially very costly internally. It's, it is represented as boxes. They just don't present like that. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, yes. Yeah, well, yeah. All right. So you've yeah you've got you've got all the bad except that you, know, you don't quite see it as much. So specifically, what happens is that um, I mean it's it's fine having that one element at the end, but the problem is, in order to represent it as a homogeneous array, all those other numbers which were stored you know packed in an array now each get expanded into their own array that can be used as an element. Okay, yeah, all right. That's what we have to do in J. Sounds like APL does it automatically. Um, anyway, so th th this is a problem, that the, the initial value uh, is not present in a scan. You have, to, you have to make it up, you have to put it there, you have to figure out some way to represent it. I think at this point, maybe we should have a concrete example. Uh, let's say that, that my X argument is a a list, an n by two list of numbers representing moves in a chess game, where the first number is the square move from and the right number, the second number is the square move to. And what I, what my program wants to do is play through the game and do something, I don't know what, you know, maybe 
kind of it does something, but clearly what it needs at each step in the game is the board. And it needs some information, the board and whose move it is. Okay, so that's the 64 number and an eight by eight array representing the board and a value representing whose move it is. So that's the initial condition. It starts out with a, a board in the initial setup. And the operation of the verb is going to be for each move, make the appropriate modification to the board and change whose move it is. Well, and well, here's the question. What am I, what is the final verb or the, the question for me is imposing this problem? What is the intermediate state between applications of the verb? And it seems clear that it's just like the input, it's just a modified board. Suppose the only thing I want, I want to know when it's all over is after each move, how many pieces were on the board? So in that case, I don't care about the board. All I care about is a number. The result doesn't need to contain the board. It just needs one number. Uh, but I have to pass the I have to pass the board from move to move. Without the board, you don't you don't have a number. So you do need to carry the board until you get to the end and you have a number. Right? The, the board has to be carried through as state. But it doesn't need to be reported as a result. And this is a deficiency of scan, is that in scan, the final result is the entire accumulated state after each move. So what I'm going to have at the end, it, it may be that I, I decide that, what I, that my result is going to be, or what I'm going to make my intermediate state will be the board whose move it is and then what I really want, which is how many pieces there are. So my intermediate state will have three boxes. The result of the scan is going to be an N by three array of boxes. All that initial state, all N boards, all N copies of whose move it was, and then the N numbers that I actually care about represented as boxes. Now, you know, you can probably stand to have 100 boards lying around, but if this intermediate state is, you know, 100 megabytes, it might, it might turn out to be a problem to have to keep a copy of that intermediate state for each iteration of the, for each item of the argument, particularly if you don't care about it at the very end. So this is a, this is a problem with scan that it, it, produces way too much, or it, it preserves way too much intermediate state. It is, it is compelled to report the intermediate state at each step as part of the result. Very wasteful of space. From stuff that I was doing last night, and I was playing around with Fold quite a bit, it seems to me that in order to preserve the board, though, you do need to have a global that's the global that, that is the board that carries off between the states. So there's, there is. It's not a global. You you can do it with a global, but you don't need a global. Okay, tell me how you do it without a global then. Okay, the the initial value. Let's let me get into define fold first. I, I will come back to that. Okay, okay. So one of the one of the two. Uh, irrefutable arguments for fold. The first one is 
too much state of the scan. The second is the scan runs to completion. Many algorithms need an early exit. You know, somebody's asked me to find the first five numbers less than a million that have some property. Well, you know, they, one, an, an APL type way to do that is calculate the number for all million values and then pick the first five. That, that can be a problem if, if the execution gets expensive as time goes on. Uh, and part of what we want to be able to do with the scan is terminate it when some terminating condition has been met. So go until you know you found your answer and then quit. Uh, this, I think, is probably the, the, mo the more important reason because some algorithms are just too long to even consider uh, running on, on the entire array. You know they're going to terminate sometime, but when? And the when part is what spurs you to write an explicit loop to break the art, break the thing up into small pieces or what all. Okay, so that's what we're trying. But so, sorry for interrupt, but what interesting you mentioned here is finding the first five numbers that have some property, uh, first five numbers under a million that has some, some property. But maybe more natural would be to ask, find me the first five numbers and not give an upper bound. In which case, even starting off with a million numbers and stopping out short is quite right. Doesn't work. Quite right. Yes, there, there's a, there is a possibility that yeah, you you can't even can't even begin to start uh, evaluating them all because you don't know how many there are. Okay, so this is what Full is trying to solve. Those two problems. We need to, we want to be able to terminate early. We want to be able to avoid uh, excessive intermediate state. And if possible, we would like to solve this initial value problem. So uh, allow the initial value to be specified separately instead of having it uh, bolted on to the argument to scan. So Fold, Fold does this. The, the syntax, it's a conjunction. <clears throat> so you say U Fold V, and it is um, very much like scan. Except that it's usually used as a dyad. So the verb u fold v, put that in parentheses, takes an x argument on the left and a y argument on the right. The x argument is the initial value. The y argument is the items to be iterated over. And what happens at each step is v is applied between the previous value on the right, which is X, and the next item from Y on the left. So it would, to begin with, it would uh, execute last Y, V, X, X, X being the initial value. Um, and it gives, that has a result. That's fed into the next iteration. The next iteration takes Y last minus one, V, whatever that result was from the first application, just like scan from here on. And it applies, it applies that all the way through to the beginning of the array uh, and it produces all those intermediate states which are passed one to the next. How do you solve the, uh, the too much memory problem? Well, that's where the U comes in. 
after each execution of the verb V, the entire result of V is passed to the next iteration. But only a part of it is preserved to be reported in the final result. That's what the U verb does. U is applied to the result of V to control what gets saved. So in the, in the example we had, where all I cared about was the number of pieces on the board, the U verb would be extract the contents of the last box, which is just the number of the number of pieces on the board. And that's all that shows up in the final result. So the final result of N steps, it produced N intermediate boards, but the result is only N atoms, N numbers, the part I asked for. And that is fold in a nutshell. Uh, for early termination, there's an auxiliary verb uh, called terminate, uh, which can be executed at any point. You can, Z, Z is called Z colon. Uh, Z colon looks at its argument, and if the argument's non-zero, it terminates. There are various ways you can terminate. You can terminate one iteration. You can terminate the whole thing. You can terminate keeping the current result. Uh, there are options. But the point is you can get out early. But it's kind of magic, right? You couldn't define this Z colon by yourself. Uh, well, it's not magic. It takes a result. So you, it, you, you calculate a predicate that says either quit or not quit. And, and if the predicate's one, Z terminates. If the predicate's zero, Z doesn't terminate. But let's say I didn't have Z colon as a primitive. How would I define it in, in normal? Oh, yeah, way? you can do. You wouldn't be able to do that. Is, that that's what I mean by it's magic. It's doing things that you can't do in the language. Like like cap, right? It's also a primitive that you cannot define yourself. It's doing things that like steps out of its... It affects things that called it rather than just affecting its own argument. Uh, no, I, I, th I don't disagree about cap. Uh, cap does two different things, but when it's executed as a verb, it simply produces a domain error. And when it's executed, it produces a domain error. It's, it's used to create a fork happens at parsing time. It, it's the, in the execution of a fork. It, agreed it's a little bit anomalous, but not like Z colon. You could do Z, Z colon by yourself, but it would take a, a you'd have to get involved with adverses. You know, you'd, you'd have to throw an error and catch it at various places. It would, it would be, you could use it to terminate the iteration, but it would be really cumbersome to, to use well, it. Or I could set a global stop value that that the fold picks up and stops, uh, I guess. Yeah, something like that. But but Z colon is well defined. I mean, it doesn't use any global state. In other words, you can you can have folds within folds, and the Z inside an internal fold will only affect that fold. You know, it it, it you know doesn't take you all the way back to an outer fold, for example. Oh, there's, there's another one. The the self reference is also like this, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it also affects the most, the closest scope. <laughs> yes. Or something. Yeah, you're quite right. How you define that? Uh, I've I've spent hours trying to figure out how to write that in in words. It's uh, very very hard to say, but yeah, that, that's what it does. I, I know I know it when I see it. I don't know. Personally, all, all, all of these features, while they're useful, make me nervous. Uh, I I don't like having special 
primitives that syntactically are like normal primitives, but then they actually do something. Oh no! I, I, well, recursion is 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 just a normal primitive. It's. I mean, it, okay. it 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 stands in place of writing the name of what it refers to. But there might not be a name. That's right. So you don't have to you don't have to have a name, but it still works. It still does recursion. You can you can still dissect it. You know, you can dissect and go through the different recursion layers and uh, see what was happening. If it's uh, anonymous, it's the largest verb that it's part of. Isn't that how it works? It's the largest one, the small. I can never really figure this out. But it, that's not our subject for now. I don't know. It's in 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 when we have in in the defense in in APL. There's never any doubt to me about what self-reference goes on. It's the the closest braces you can you get to. As soon as you hit the braces, you're out. Yeah, it's purely lexical. Yeah. Whereas in I never really understood in in J how that works. But the same thing here, the fold. I guess it's the closest fold that it's in or something. Yeah. Yeah. Z operates. Z Z terminate when it when it does something. It terminates an iteration or the entire iteration on the fold that it's executing on. So does it also, does it like jump out of a function if it's, so like if you have an explicit function that calls Z colon in the middle, does, when that gets called, like what happens? It just jumps straight to the fold or? I don't remember. I'll have to, I'll have to read the documentation. And that, that's also that kind of thing that I wanted to ask as well. So let's say I don't want to just, uh, stop or not stop directly inside my fold, I'm going to call some other function that's going to find out whether or not I should stop. That function happens to use a fold. Now I'm in trouble. No, you're not. So it has to give a value back that's then caught outside. Well, that's what you asked it to do, right? I, I do, I remember now. Uh, Z, Z colon does equivalent of the throw. Okay, yeah. Right. So, so it will terminate, it'll, It'll, it'll be just as if you did a throw and, and the, catch. Right? Well, and, and the fold itself has the catch. So nice. when Z when Z terminates the current uh, fold, it's it's doing it. Yes, it will break out of every explicit on the way. It just goes right up to where the fold catches it. But yeah, and it's not that different from um, throwing an error, which exactly course, nearly every primitive does in certain circumstances. Quite right. <laughs> I see. So you could actually implement this z colon as a special error value uh, or error, error type that's unique to the fold, and the fold will then yes, catch. that's what z, that's that's how it's implemented. It's done as a throw of a particular code that fold knows to pick up. That's interesting. I could use that technique in APL because that's fairly simple to do. Yeah, uh, it works well. Um, yeah, I, I, you shouldn't be afraid of recursion. You know, it's the the rule is that uh, when you when you counter a recursion, whatever the thing that's parsed, what the recursion is usually part of something big, and it's when that big thing goes to be executed. You know, that's that's what gets recurred on. It may be a part of a sentence. It may be a, just a simple fork or part of an agenda, but it's well defined what uh, what's, what gets executed. It's just, just hard to put it into words. Uh, anyway, to, to finish up on fold, uh, there are 
four main variants uh, of fold. They all do roughly what I described, but uh, one, one choice the programmer gets to make is which order do I want to apply the items? The, and so there's a forward fold where you apply the items from the front to the back, a reverse fold where you apply from the last toward the front. The other decision is, do you want to keep the intermediate state? Uh, in other words, is this like a scan or is this like a reduce? So if you if you don't keep the intermediate state, you just get the final result. If you do keep the intermediate state, you get all the results of the U verbs. Um, and then while I was at it, I put in a couple of variants that do not operate by item. Uh, they they just execute the verbs repeatedly on the, the arguments, and the only advantage of this is you can use C colon to exit when you think you're done. Yeah, so that can be an improvement on the um, on the normal while idiom in J, which is uh, you know if what you write is power condition power infinity. Um, right. Because uh, the problem with that is uh, that. The power infinity stops when when it sees the same value twice. But if you're doing that with a stateful computation, then the result value might not tell you whether you're actually done. Right. And that's closer to what Adam was talking about in terms of the game. You don't want it to, if there's no change, you don't want it to stop. So you would have your Z exit on another, uh, on another condition. Yeah. And sometimes you want to stop when you're still changing too, so... A question I had about Z is the other thing it does, and it's specifically when you're talking about, um, you know, not, I, I think of them as almost an inf infinite processing, the, the, the folds that are just going to keep chunking until you send the Z to, to kick them out. You establish, you know, like your maximum number of iterations, and Z can take, I think it's negative three uh, Z colon, um, and then the, your max number of iterations. Um, so you assign that a, a, a variable, um, but I guess as the fold's going, that's something, to me, that does feel a little bit magic. It's actually counting each iteration as it goes through the fold, right? You don't have to do anything else for that. It, it counts the number of iterations of the number of times V is executed. So right. that's not a count you have to set up in decrement or anything. You just establish what that number of iterations will be, and then as the fold runs, it just keeps track of that and counts itself down. Right, yeah. I, that's that just has a kludgy feel to it, doesn't it? I, it's this like designing this stuff is really hard, you know. I it's uh, I I am very impressed by the guys who did this. It feels a bit kludgy. I'm not sure how else, else you would do it, and it's very necessary. <laughs> you know, you it's a safety. It's a it's a guardrail for you. Yeah, that's that's what I came up with too. Um, well, I'm glad to hear that you've done some folds because I, I think that the number of people who have used fold, even with that, can still be counted on the fingers of one boxing glove. <laughs> and so, who else is using it? I guess is now my question. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, well, you, you, if you find if you find that guy, <laughs> well, actually, to be fair, I think Devin's used it a few times, and I think Rawls used it a few times. But you're right; not not a lot of people are using it. Yeah. All right, so it's an unusual boxing glove here. It's got a split down the middle or something. <laughs> it's a Mickey Mouse glove. <laughs> it's been out there for a couple of releases, and. Uh, has hardly ever been used. 
I think you mentioned that the performance isn't especially good because it's all written in loopy J under the surface, right? I, I don't think that's the problem. If, if that were the problem, somebody would have done it and said, gosh, the performance, I like this, but the performance sucks. And if somebody did that, I would have it in C in the next beta. So it, 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 will, it will not be hard to, to make it fast. If fast is the problem. I, I don't think fast is the problem. I mean, I think part of it is that uh, it, it just takes a very long time for new language features to get into the head of the users. And when, when they're, and then they have to find the right application for them. And in this case, when there was a, a slightly inferior way of doing it before, they'll stick with the inferior way anyway because they know it. I think it's just uh, that, you know, what's the need for it? And I could say, I, I can make a pretty good case that there's no need for it. Uh, instead, of, instead of having a fold primitive, I'll just have a loop. Well, you've got six fold primitives. Right. Okay, but I'll, I only need one at a time. Whichever one I was going to use, I'll have a loop instead. And instead of having state that I pass from one iteration to the next, I'll have a global variable. And I'll have another variable. And maybe it doesn't even be a global variable. I'll just have, I'll have a variable. And I'll have another variable that accumulates the result. And that gives me everything that fold does. I can obviously I can terminate whenever I want to. I'll just break out of the loop accordingly. Uh, so that might also account for it. It's not not that the users are slothful or uh, thoughtless. It's just that the primitive's not needed. Well, and um, one of the things that occurred to me when I was using it is I feel in some ways the same way that that uh, reduce and scan got separated in, in J as opposed to APL where there's a single a single um, glyph. What? I mean, the, the reducing and the... Well, you need the, the yeah. forward and backward slash together to get a, effectively what is a one glyph scan in APL, right? Yeah. So you've broken it into two parts. When you break it into two parts, it gives you a little power. You can actually put things between those two adverbs and do something in between. You can, but Fold isn't doing that. No, no, I understand that. But I'm saying, as an example, to me, that, that, that breaking apart allows you to get in there and do something. When I was playing with Fold, Fold gets you into the same area, but in a different, a different way of looping. And, and I think one of the things that's difficult is suddenly you're dropping through something you used to do just by, oh, I'll throw that in there and it'll do it. But now you've got the power to go in and do other things, and 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 then you really have to keep track about what you're doing. And I think that makes it a bit more challenging for people who are used to just putting in a reverse scan and go, you know, okay, we've done that, we're, we're good. But now you could do other things in between. That's what I found when it, when it gets a bit complicated. Mm, yeah. um, anyway, so back to why did why do we bother with fold? Well, I think uh, to have a a more complete functional subset if if you have if you really think functional programming is important uh, you know opinions vary on that uh, but if if you think functional programming is important then you need a better looping primitive you for the reasons that we mentioned and for those people fold should and should be a useful tool for others well it's like 
you know, you, there are a lot of things that you can do in J with loops that you can do better with primitives. This is another example of that, and whether it's whether it's worth learning will be uh, up to each user, I guess. I'm certainly a bit envious of having all the possibilities there, <laughs> and and I've spent some time thinking about, well, you know, the the functions derived from the backslash in APL, I mean, the scans they're not defined to be dyadic, so we could throw in some left argument there that would extend the domain to do all of this somehow. How would that be designed? Oh, you now you're talking Q. Yeah, we're good and good for you. Yeah, exactly. I want Stephen to come in, and we should invite him as a guest and speak about forward and backward slash in, in KQ, K slash Q, no pun intended. Um, uh, the, I think, believe they're the same, aren't they? Oh, Marshall? Uh, the, the slashes in K versus Q, yeah. you mean? Yeah, not Q and K. Uh, not forward and backwards. No, not forward and backwards, not K and Q. They're not the same. But I believe that K in and Q define forward and backwards slash exactly the same. Um, if you have the right version of K. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but the, I, I, I see these fold things in, in J as kind of trying to patch up for it wasn't as well thought out as it could have been, and certainly in APL as well. And I guess BQN does the job better but it still doesn't have the full vocabulary um, <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> um but the, how the way that it is in in k that really fascinates me the amount of functionality that's packed into those in a really neat and and uh symmetric fashion okay we could we could do a session on that that'd be a lot of fun i feel like i feel like too at one point i mean i lost it in my bookmarks because i uh lost my operating system which <laughs> in turn i lost everything on that operating system but at some point i had a uh, maybe it was even in the footnotes of the fold page we'll see is it no but there was like a i can't remember if it was like k7 to j folds or like shakti to j folds but there was some small table somewhere i mean one of our listeners is listening to this being like oh yeah that was that was mine i put that together um, of the translations between all the different flavors of J folds and the primitives in some K version or Shakti or something like that. So I'll go and find that after the fact and we can put it in the show notes. Oh, by the way, I have the, I have the word on versions of K recently from Arthur. There are no versions of K. There is only the one language. The, the movie reference for this is Highlander. <laughs> so perhaps we could talk about incarnations there's only the one version uh, well, well if it's from arthur that's uh that's, you know that's the the word of god <laughs> wait hold on i thought i thought i meant noticed him writing that they're separate languages but we call k versions actually separate languages i remember i think he said this at the j conference a while ago i keep making languages yeah i keep naming them k <laughs> He would have that. That would have been would not have been recorded or anything. But that's my memory of what he said. Well, that seems it seems consistent. That seems consistent because we know that he begins each. Uh, he begins each time by deleting everything he's done before. Yep. <laughs> All right. Here's a here's a few notes that I. This has been great. This is better than I thought it was going to be. Um, at one point, I just kicked back and was listening. It was amazing. Because um, the goal of this was for me to learn a bunch of stuff, and I learned so much more than I expected to. My first comment, this is just a short comment, was that your um, taxonomizing of rank, cut, and key into one group, I think is brilliant. Never thought about it that way before. 
um, also didn't realize that like I always in my head referred to those cut functions as intervals because I guess I never looked at the <laughs> at the box that they're in and it says cut at the top but like there's like you know a two by three and half of them are self intervals or intervals and so I was like I don't know how to refer to these so in my head I just called them intervals didn't realize they were called cut I think that's probably one of the most interesting of the things that I know about J at least you know qualify that statement cuts probably one of the most interesting areas uh, especially coming from APL because APL has a couple different I'm not even remember what they're called uh, um, partition par- yeah partition and enclosed partition and BQN doesn't even have those they have the group that can be combined with a bunch of different just one just one yeah um, but J has like you know six of them and I remember talking to my boss once about this, uh, or maybe he wasn't my boss at the time, Michael, about how I thought Jay's version of these interval functions are really like they've managed to haphazardly design a five-argument function in Jay by, you know, allowing some of the arguments on it to be like, you know, underscores and values and the first argument or last argument of the array that it's reading in. Anyways, very interesting for the listener that is cur- Jay curious. Go check out Cut. Maybe we'll do a whole episode on on Cut later. But my meta point being that, uh, or original point being that putting them into a single group, I had never thought about before, and it makes a lot of sense. Um, well, can I say, uh, it wasn't just you. Uh, I think the uh, the fact that rank uh, is really just another one of these partitioning verbs escaped everybody's notice until just two or three years ago. And the the reason I say that is that all of the partitioning verbs have a variant where the verb can be a gerund, and therefore it's so the gerund is in effect a list of verbs, and the the individual verbs are applied cyclically. So if I have three partitions and three verbs, I can apply the first verb to the first partition, Second verb to the second partition, the third verb to the third partition. Are you serious? Uh, yeah. Is this for all of them or just rank? It was. It's for all of the partitioning, so you can do it for uh, key, uh, all the cuts. Wow. Suff- suffix, prefix, reduce. Yeah, all these partitioning things, with the sole exception of rank. You know, it just. I, I think somehow, even in Ken and Roger's mind. Rank was just, it wasn't conceived as what it is, which is the most basic way to partition the argument. Uh, so the, so the, the cyclic gerunds uh, were only added to rank a couple of releases ago when we, re- we realized, hey, wait a minute, this should apply to rank also. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it doesn't jump out at you that the rank and key and index are all really part of one thing yeah i think for me too the one of the things that sort of makes it feel like it's in a different category is that and i don't actually know this for sure i just assume that when you are doing a sort of reduction like operation combined with the cut um primitive and i assume maybe the key as well like you're not actually materializing the nested vector or whatever that you would get so like for instance if you're trying to figure out, like, I've, I've solved this problem in a number of languages, like, the maximum number of ones in a row. You can do uh, a cut on, like, one or zero or whatever, 
and then do like a sum on each of those in a language that or a library that you're using in a different language you might have to materialize like a list of lists and then do the summations on the, those lists but hopefully in j like they don't materialize that behind the scenes because you don't need to oh we we well we do generally i, I mean maybe not for the particular case you had but uh, in general if i'm going to apply a verb to well yeah a, a verb in j needs to have an argument that is an array so if the if the argument comes from uh, scattered rows of an array i have to collect those into one array before i can apply the verb to it now that's for key for cut where they're already contiguous i don't have to materialize I, I'll, right that makes sense that makes sense key key you have to because cut, we just operate it in place yeah, so we'll stick to cut then, because that is the example that we're talking about here. It's like, you know, one, then zero, one, zero, zero, back and forth. And I, I actually kind of refer to a lot of these as like sliding, reduce, reduce, where you're doing some sliding operation. And like, so for, I think the very first time I came across this, it was this problem that I showed in a C++ Now 2019 talk, where it was like given a, a string of ones and zeros, uh, determine if there is a string of ones that is greater than seven in length. And one of the ways you can do this is just look at seven uh, elements at a time or characters in that string, check if they're all ones. And if any of those seven length strings are all ones, you just return true. And in, in like, I think Haskell, the way that's going to work, actually, I don't know about Haskell, but uh, in many languages, you'll have to like, you'll have to materialize those windows of seven and then do the check and then do the reduction at the end of the day, whereas in some language that has a primitive that is doing all of this at once, you can ignore all that stuff. That's true. Um, yeah. Anyways, this is all, all just all – just, uh, uh, I think cut is super fascinating to Jay, and I'd never heard anyone sort of put them in, in those groups. Right. I, I was in the middle of making the point that rank already has like your array materialized. So like whereas you're doing some operation that you pass with cut as like a higher order function – that seems kind of different because if you're not materializing like your nested list or list of lists versus if you're applying some rank one operation on a matrix, those feel like in different categories because you never actually materialized like your, your list of lists or um, like nested list. Uh, but that's more sort of just like the way it was in my head. But like if you take a step back, it is kind of the same thing. Like rank, key, and cut, they're all doing... They're all applying some operation on some subset of like the overall uh, array that you're working on. Marshall? Yeah, well, I have kind of a different view on this, which is uh, that when I was doing PQN, I decided that um, this this class of functions, these uh, these things that apply functions to some parts of an array that's sliced up however you want, um, they shouldn't be operators or modifiers. They should be actually just functions that uh, that take all those parts, that give you all those parts, and then you apply the function each on those. So you have you know one modifier each, which uh, which does the same thing, and then you combine it with all these different functions. And then so an example of why that's useful. I mean, I'm not going to claim that it's automatically better, but. One place where it's useful is that, for example, instead of this gerund functionality having to be built into the language, if you wanted to apply a bunch of different functions in different orders, you could make a list of functions and, and use the an apply function. So to apply each function to each cell, and then you can build the list of functions however you want to. Um, but 
one primitive that is a modifier is rank. So <laughs> I also didn't consider it to be part of that class, but now that I'm thinking about it, I could have. Um, so what I could have done instead was apply, um, was have a, a function that just splits out the cells of your argument. Um, actually a lot like APLs split. As, bu as boxes, you mean? Huh? As boxes. Or enclosures, or whatever you want to call them. So right now you've got a enclose, which turns the the whole argument into one rank zero array. And the way you currently do this is you call enclose with rank to to split you know the cells together. There could instead be a function that takes like a left argument that's the rank, and it splits those. Um, and I don't know. I think that would be less convenient in a lot of cases, but it would also be. Um, the function is simpler than the rank function because rank has to have these three different operands. And this thing would only ever have one argument and you apply it to, to both the arguments that you want to split up if you're doing that or. Yeah. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't get the pairing facility. And pairing up ranks from one array with, with another array. Well, you would, you would leave that to each, which already has it. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the old method, right? Before dialog added uh, rank operator from J to the language and, and other and other other yeah you would have had to now dialog has the issue that that uh the split function is really weird you have to call like enclose where the axes are all of the trailing axes that you want sure that's split being being odd but not even nested apls like apl2 they don't have split at all you have to use enclose with axes and there's no other way and and um and so that the old method of doing it was exactly that and you have enclosed with axis. Okay, it's an anomalous syntax that uses the axis operator on the left argument, but it could have had a left argument instead and then use a different symbol. Um, but I also understand why it makes sense to see it as an extension, right? You have enclosed, encloses the entire array. You have enclosed with axis, encloses some sub arrays along those axes. Yeah. And then you can use each. That's how they're doing it. Yeah. So it's interesting you get these two levels where, first, if you don't even realize that rank exists, you implement it, implement it using a function. And then if you do, maybe you implement it as an operator, but then you could also have this further level, which, as I said, I don't know if it's an improvement or not, where you split it into being um, a function and just that one each operator. Um, but I mean, yeah, the function method is definitely not always better. And we, we've talked about the ways where Windows is um, kind of weird on the last episode, actually. So um, it's a choice. I think it makes the language a little simpler, but. Um, it's got its drawbacks too. It's definitely food, food for thinking. Did you have more on? You said like you were starting a list of topics. Kind of. Oh yeah, that was that was number one. I mean, that was I said it was short, but uh, then you responded being that it, well, it's actually something that many people have missed. So I mean, it's uh, hopefully if if the listeners are totally uh, lost, um, maybe come back and listen to this episode like in a year or so because this this stuff is. Yeah, it's uh, my mind was just buzzing the whole time listening to the conversation that was happening here, and I'm just like, yeah, man, it's I'm the listener of this podcast that just gets an advance, <laughs> advance listening, uh, four four days in advance of uh, everyone else. Um, you get to ask questions too. I I should uh, point out, you said it was hard to find cut. Uh, for those listeners who are looking for cut in the J vocabulary, it's semicolon dot. Semicolon dot, yeah. And I've definitely, like, if you go to Nuvok, I, I know where to find it on the page. I just have always missed the uh, the title of that box being cut. Um, the second thing, though, and this was, uh, yeah, mind was buzzing about this the whole time. I came up with a whole new algorithm or name for a, a flavor of an algorithm. So 
I mean, we have we have scans, and typically the two flavors of scans that I'm aware of that already have names back from like the 60s are pre-scan and scan. And the easiest way to think about these, in my opinion, are that a scan takes a sequence of n elements and gives you back a sequence of n elements. So if you're familiar with C++ or Haskell or APL or J, these are the scans you get sort of as primitives. Um, and in C++, this is our partial sum algorithm. In Haskell, this is the uh, scan L1 algorithm. And, and the key property of this is it doesn't take an initial value. It uses the first element of that uh, sequence as sort of the first value of the output sequence and then goes on to apply whatever binary operation plus multiplies, etc. Then there's a pre-scan algorithm, which the distinguishing difference from the scan algorithm is this is a, it takes a sequence of n elements and gives you back n plus one elements. And it also takes an initial value. So in Haskell, whereas the scan algorithm was scan L1, this uh, pre-scan algorithm is scan L. And this one takes an extra argument as the initial value. And so whatever that initial value is will be the starting value of your output sequence. And it gets a little bit confusing in C++ because we technically have a pre-scan algorithm called exclusive scan, but it actually doesn't give you back n plus one elements. It, it gets rid of the last element. So it's actually n plus... The last one, not the first one. Yeah, it get, it's n plus one minus one. <laughs> yeah, so if it got rid of the first one, that would be the that would be the first one we talked about, which is the inclusive scan. Yeah. Wait, hold on. So I'm not sure I'm following then. Yeah, I, I would have expected it to give back n elements and not include the initial value. Firstly, you know what the initial value is already. It should be easy for you to add that. Secondly, there's a good chance that the initial value is a very different type than all the derived values later. So wait, so so yeah, let's your 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 confusion and assumptions are are uh, are valid. But so like exclusive scan, in my opinion, is just broken. It's supposed to be the pre-scan algorithm. So if you have a, a iota sequence uh, from one to five and you do a exclusive scan zero on that one to five sequence, it'll give you, you know, zero, one, three, et cetera, and then just kill off the last value. Um, so like, I consider this like a broken algorithm that shouldn't even be in the mix. I, sh I probably just shouldn't have mentioned it because I've, I've confused people, but let's. Well, no, actually, I think, um, I think it's possibly more coherent than the inclusive scan. What you really want in a lot of cases is the, this exclusive scan plus the final result from reduction. Um, so I don't have a, a good example in my head, but if you, um, I mean, the idea is that for, for each element, first you're going to return what you've got. Then you apply the function to that in the element and you keep going. Um, and so at each step, you're putting what you've got initially in the spot. And that's good. So, so one reason why that's why I might say that's more coherent is that if you do, for example, a plus scan on an array of ones, um, the result, if you do it inclusively, it starts with one, which is, um, which is at the wrong index because the index is zero. And I don't want any disagreement on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you do the, uh, exclusive scan it instead, uh, I mean, in an APL, like you would, you might infer an identity element of zero to start with, but th then the result starts at zero. And so the results correspond to the indexes. Um, and another way you might say it is that the number of arguments you've processed at each index is equal to that index. Um, but then, like you say, there's the problem with throwing out the last yeah. value. 
So what you really want is that that scan and then the last value. Yeah, I mean, just do a negative one drop if you don't want that last one, because then you're going to have to go do. But anyways, we're, uh, we'll just try and get through the flavors. So there's scan and pre-scan. Those already exist. Then listening to Henry, um, he starts to describe the fold. And then I, I realized that this, is n this does not correspond, at least when you don't specify the X argument and you're just using uh, the function created by your fold as a unary operation or a monadic operation. This does not um, correspond to either a pre-scan or a scan because you're given a sequence of N elements and you're returned N minus one elements. Um, and this is in the monadic case because the dyadic case is different as well. In the monadic case, going so we have pre-scan for N to N plus one, Scan to n to n, and then something that doesn't have a name from n to n minus 1. So immediately I'm like, well, what do you call in the progression of pre-scan, scan? Probably post-scan. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Post-scan is the name of this new third flavor. But then he continues to go on to explain the dyadic version where you specify an initial value. And this is, if, we're, if, if you're keeping up, an n to n algorithm, but where you also specify an initial value. Whereas in the original scan al algorithm that went from n to n, it was just using the first element as the initial value. So what do you call, and I don't actually have a good name for this, <laughs> what do you call an n to n algorithm in the context of pre-scan scan and post-scan where we already have an n to n algorithm? Adam has his hand up. Apparently, it's obvious. Omniscan. <laughs> Omniscan? What does omni mean? Pre and post. <laughs> So we have this in BQN and K, and we just call it scan. <laughs> you have this in what languages? In in both BQN and K. Uh, that's right, because BQN, you changed the dyadic versions to take the initial element, and that's why we have Windows and not the NYs reduce, which I haven't made up my mind if I, if I uh, like that or not, except for the cases where I do need an initial value, and then I'm like, I'm going straight <laughs> to BQN because I, <laughs> I know your dyadic overload uh, is what I want here. And you said K also does this? I think K works the same way where you can take an array and an initial value. Well, we can't call this flavor scan because, I mean, in general, they're all called scans. But <laughs> in my mind, Omni is, does Omni mean both post and pre? I thought Omni just meant like uh, omniscient, you know, God up in the clouds can see everything. Um, Omni, means, Omni means all. Yeah, but if you have, you have things like um, minus is, is a prefix operator and um, things like um, musical factorial is a postfix operator. And then you have things like absolute value, which is an omnifix. It's both on the left and on the right of the value that you have taken mm, absolute value of. In, in regular mathematics, not talking about APL, of course. And what's also, I mean, I have to work through this, but what's interesting too is a lot, like pre-scan is, is clearly the, um, or maybe it's not clear, but pre-scan is definitely the like fundamental scan in that you can do everything with that scan. Because one of the restrictions of the original scan that I explained, the end-to-end -end that uses the initial value as the initial value of the output sequence, is you are restricted to the property that your the type of your output sequence has to be the same as the type of your input sequence by virtue of the fact that, well, I mean, maybe if you're allowed uh, homogeneous arrays as the output sequence, but like in general in type languages, like once you've determined the type of the first element, that's going to be the type for the rest of the elements. And that is very, very restrictive in many cases. So the way to get around that is to use a pre-scan where you can determine whatever type you want. It can be completely different. And as long as, uh, and that's the thing is 
when you get into sort of uh, sequential versus parallel, this changes the ways you implement this because a lot of the times if you've got two different types for your sort of accumulator value and the value of your sequence, you need to make sure that you're applying things as like a, a left scan from left to right because if you start to do things um, non-deterministically, you're going to end up with tight mismatches and stuff. But we're getting, I, or I'm getting into the, 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 the deep end or the weeds here. The, the question really is still, what do we call this? Um, like a knit scan is the, is the best thing I came up with in my head, but I don't like that at all. I kind of want something that starts with a P, but uh, <laughs> maybe we should just call it, you know, scan like uh, marshall said well i mean i do think you could add you could add initialize to any of these kinds of scans like what like if you have a pre-scan you can also take an initial value and then the um the initial value is the first element and then the next result is your next element and so on well i mean a pre the main property of a pre-scan is that it takes an initial value like that's the Oh, oh, but in apl where you have the identity element you could also force it to take the identity element oh, but you might not have that for the particular function, it might be a custom function where it's not determinable. Well, yeah. I mean, but it's not any worse than reduction where you might have an empty array and no identity. This was actually one of the biggest... I can't... Was it Sean Parent? Someone in the C++ community that I I remember speaking to and value his or her opinion. I can't remember exactly who this was. Probably was Sean Parent, um, but I could be wrong about that. Pointed out that... That's actually one of the problems with APL is that a lot of these primitives operate on, you know, a, a type having an initial value, but there's no way to like go past that. What if you're defining your own type and then how do you, how do you like customize these primitives so that they know what the identity value, uh, like there's no way to do that in APL. You're kind of just stuck. That That's just not true. It, 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 Dialog doesn't implement that, but at NARS 2000, does implement that and you can specify what the identity element is for your custom function and you can specify what the inverse is for your custom function and so on so it can be done how many how many of the apls up until nars though did i don't think anybody did it what has been yeah so like if your response is like it's possible but it doesn't exist that's not really like no, it's been it's been specified how this can work. If I remember right, it was specified before NARS 2000 implemented it. It's just that none of the big APLs bother to because it's really rare that you actually need this. Yeah, I mean, it's still, that's kind of like, you know, I really want zip, which is a function that exists in many languages. And like C++ doesn't have it, but C++ 23 is getting it. And if someone was talking to me, be like, yeah, I just can't deal with the fact that C++ has zip. And then my response is like, don't worry, it's here in C++ 23. And they're working at a company that's upgrading from C++ plus plus 11 to 14 which means that they'll get it in like 15 years it's it's true but it doesn't really it doesn't really help help that person it's not that they can't fit into the language yeah. so it, it i guess yeah. well, take back take back the you know one of the problems with apl it could exist um it just doesn't i think in most of the more popular popularly used uh apl versions in history um, and and maybe a step beyond what c plus plus is when you're talking about implementations it's been defined. It just mean maybe not implemented yet. So yeah. it's not like it's going to break something in order, in order to put it. Yeah. In. And technically, like there are many there are many libraries that have zip, but like package management is not an easy thing. So, <laughs> and there are many companies that like don't like you having third party dependencies. Anyways, this is a whole meta meta discussion. But um, anyways, we we don't have a name for scan or the the fourth scan, but still post scan is quite nice and. Uh, 
I guess my, my final comment, I just realized though here, like we're way over time, but Hey, um, welcome to, welcome to a Raycast. Um, <laughs> um, is that it sounds like one of the motivations, um, for this fold primitive would be, uh, would disappear if, and I'm not sure actually if Jay has this, this is just top of mind because I've been doing this test on APL and it, um, I'm planning to do it on BQN and J as well as I was profiling over the last week, a very simple IOTA map, map, reduce, uh, sequence. So like IOTA of 10,000, then like a, a one plus, then a two times, and then a reduction. And then technically if you go above 10,000 elements, you might need to do some modulus so you don't overflow or have to promote to a floating point type. But, uh, I was hoping that the final expression that included the reduction would be the fastest of all of them. Because in a sophisticated enough interpreter, it would recognize that the generator sequ- the generator primitive iota followed by two mapping operations, one plus and two times. If those are your expressions, you have to materialize that vector at the end of the day. Whereas with the reduction, you can technically just boil that whole thing down into a fold where there's no there's like O one memory. Like you don't need to have O n memory in the the size. But uh, at least in the di- dialogue APL code that I tried, like. The first version took X time. The second version took 2X. The third version took 3X. And the final version took like 3.3X or something like that. And it sounds like the sort of the motivation between this fold thing is that, especially like you said, if you've got some massive amount of state, that you could actually spell some of this stuff This in the simplest cases, not in the case where you need like three different pieces of state. You could just do like a, a map or a transform on your initial sequence and then do some kind of reduction at the end of the day. But it sounds like using this fold primitive will avoid materializing like a vector of like, or a scanned sort of result value of all these um, unnecessary pieces of state. So like when Adam said, it actually sounds like, you know, or there's been some performance things in my mind, I was thinking like for a certain category of thing that you're solving, this fold will definitely be faster than doing it naively with, you know, without this fold primitive, but maybe, uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. And then the second thought that I was making is that like, if this was built into this language, this kind of like fusion technique, um, it might be the same thing as what fold is doing. Anyways, I'm not sure if any of that made sense. It did make sense, but I, uh, I don't know that Jay is ever going to uh, do that sort of analysis of the uh, primitive stream. I think there was a version, a version of K that had uh, arithmetic progression vectors built in so that if you did the equivalent of IOTA 10, it would return that and not actually evaluate it. It would kind of be lazy about it. And that means if you um, if you multiply it by two, it will just remember that, okay, it's a two times that and then add one, it will remember that it's one plus that. And then when you sum it, it's, I'm not sure it actually, it, it would probably materialize it at that point to the full thing. But it's fairly easy then for summation to recognize, oh, I've got myself an arithmetic regression vector. There's a direct closed formula for the sum. But the, but what's the point of optimizing in such languages? You, we could be clever, right? We could say plus slash iota and optimize that with that formula that children learn in school. But if seriously, nobody's going to do plus slash iota 
in a real in a real application if you actually need that fast you just write the formula it's a tr it's a trivial example but there's a reason that there's like a whole you know sector industry built around like MapReduce, right which is like technically what you're doing all the time in apl you're yeah so the diffusion is a different operation i mean the reason that MapReduce is an entire application is that i mean optimizing just MapReduce alone is pretty hard um so in the APL family, we pretty much just don't even go that far. We just optimize the individual primitives, which is hard enough and which is something where that, that no language has really, you know, gotten to the bottom of. There's all sorts of stuff that, that just hasn't been done. Um, and so then to take, I mean, the thing is you can't just, uh, you can't do it like a C compiler would do it. And um work on it uh, one number at a time and say, all right, I'm going to take this number, add one, multiply two, and add it to the result, because that's really slow. Um, you're not using the, the CPU's vector instructions like um, like well-implemented APL primitive would. Um, now, C compilers do have auto-vectorization, and that's I guess that's kind of in the area of where you'd be pointing, but uh, auto-vectorization doesn't apply very often. I mean, it's you have to write your code into a, in a very particular way to get it to work. And even then the generated code is often pretty bad. Um, so is, is the vectorization gonna, um, outweigh. Oh yeah. The memory allocation of the intermediate results though. Like I, I have no idea. Yeah. I mean, vectorization gives you automatic four times at least. Yeah. Um, you, you would have to, you would have to be able to bunch together several primitives in a row and figure out some way to operate on them in registers uh, before you would have a chance of of beating the vectorized primitives. And I I just don't think it's worthwhile. And the other thing is, once once you start operating with named functions, you know, if it's not plus, if it's some user function, now you can't optimize over it because the user is allowed to redefine functions and functions. That's a project for the next generation, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Are all of the uh, APL, Dialog APL, BQN, and J, they all have this kind of vectorized primitives behind the scenes to some to extent? To a great extent. Yeah, that's a... yeah. That is actually true. When I, was, when I did that, whatever, 10 different live streams back a couple years ago, <laughs> I spent, I think, three or four hours ripping out like all these AVX, uh, you know, intrinsic, and I was... It took a while, but I was like, wow, there's a lot of work that's been done here. Um, now, you say you can't optimize it with regard to time, but would you be able to optimize it for space? Because you could maybe do it in place because you're just applying a, a function within the fold? Jay, Jay already does that. Well, I mean, you could write your code in such a way that you just write, um, you just move all the extra functionality that you want in the map into the reduction. So you say, I have my initial value and I want to apply the function to the initial value and then one plus two times whatever the new value is. Um, and then you get good space usage. Um, but then Jay probably can't vectorize anything. No, but the same thing would apply to fold as you're you're talking about reduce. Fold works the same way. If you if you do all your operations into that between, yeah. it would still work the same way. Yeah, in, in J, yep. the the intermediate state is uh, will almost always be uh, rewritable, you know, inplaceable. So the you know the chessboard we were talking about. Uh, uh, probably not. Uh, 
but if you had something that wasn't boxed, if you had an, an unboxed array, it it would it could be modified in place over and over again and never reallocated. Because I was going to say, like, if that's well, this, this may we know what I'm doing this afternoon. Then it's going to go test this stuff because then if if it is implaceable, then I would expect instead of it being like x two x three x three point three x or whatever it is, I would expect it to be x you know one point one x one point two x and then one point four x because like the main work in that operation is the is the reallocation I would expect. Although if things are being vectorized, I don't know. Um, but you have to do an initial allocation too. Like every step does an allocation. If it's doing it in place, or, yeah, that's the whole that's the whole point, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So if it's in, if you do this in J, uh, and you and you make it in place, well, it'll be one allocation, and then add, add one in place, and multiply by two in place. It, that, that's a significant speed up. Um, it uh, it re- reduces. Well, I'm not sure about that. I mean, it's not the allocation that is expensive. It's the um, it's the using memory that's not already in the cache. Exactly. Um, and if you're timing with a repeated operation, uh, if the memory manager is good at reusing memory, once you finish the operation, you get rid of the old memory, and the allocation is probably going to happen in the exact same place. So you might have you might be able to get by with double the needed cache usage. Uh, yes, that's possible if you're if you're allocator if you're careful to to discard things early. This this was a a big part of what I did in the last release of Jay to make sure these arguments are discarded as quickly as possible. Yeah. Sorry. Wait. So what I've I've um, lost. Say what you said again, Marshall. That it's not actually the allocation that matters. Yeah. I mean, allocation is just you do some work and you say, "All right, I'm going to use this bit of memory," mm-hmm. uh, and you never touch the memory. So I mean, it's it's a fixed cost. It's going to have nothing on operating on a ten thousand element array. Um, but then the problem is that you actually have to use that memory. And if it's not already in the CPU cache, then you have to drag it out of RAM into the cache. And that's pretty slow relative to these fast array operations. Um, if you can get the the allocator to use memory that's already in the cache, I mean, even if it spills out of L1 or L2, L3 is a whole lot faster than RAM. So if you can use something that's vaguely like something you've seen before, um, then that's kind of all you need um, to have it. I mean, to have it perfectly, you know, each operation taking the same amount of time, um, then you would have to allocate into the lowest level that it'll fit in. Um, but anyway, if you're, if you're throwing out everything at the end of each step and then restarting the step again, it should be possible for the allocator to, to give you, you know, memory that's, to give you that same memory, pretty much. Well, maybe it, it depends very much on how big the operands are, particularly with respect to L2 cache. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, if they're too big, they just don't fit in cache. And then what you have to do is um, is chunk the operation into parts that will fit in the cache, and that's something that that the array languages don't do for you either. Well, um, we're, that's that's on our work list. That's uh, that that will be important for. For very large, I mean, for for operands that are much bigger than L two cache. Uh, yeah, we've been looking but, a bit at that. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think that that will turn out to be important. But my measurements are, it, you can have what a, what I would call a two address addition, where you do A plus B and store the result into A, or a three address addition, which is A plus B, A plus B and store the result into C. 
And I find mostly that the two-address operation is something on the order of 30% faster. Um, and part of it's because even though you haven't touched C, uh, just writing into C is going to cause it to be cast out. Something has to make room for C in L2 cache. And so when I, if I read from A and B and write to A, there are no cast outs from the cache. Everything operates in place. When I write into C, there are going to be cast outs. And that, that is a hidden tax on the cache bandwidth available in L2. L, L2 is pretty much saturated with reading and writing for the arithmetic operations. And if you add on any uh, requirement to cast out cache lines, that shows up as a generalized slowdown that's really hard to put your finger on where it came from because it's just something the cache decided it had to do along the way. Yeah, and so this is even if you use the same function just based on what pointers you pass in. Yes, yes, yeah. right. So if there's an advantage to operating on in place on arguments and that uh, yeah. the several releases of J J does a pretty good job now of reusing operands when it can at, at the peril of making things are not immutable anymore and there are an awful lot of bugs that can come up because of that. Yeah. It's been around a while. Are there any tools because I'm trying to I know that Valgrind is a tool used in C it's it's great in terms of the info it gives you, but it runs ridiculously slow because it has to make a bunch of changes. But I'm not sure if you can use that kind of thing with like a different executable, like, you know, J or something like that. Are there other ways to measure this stuff in any of APL, J or BQN that like you can... You... Um, so there's a Linux tool called Perf that you can run on any executable and um, it runs at pretty much the same speed. Um, it just, uh, it just uh, has, it, it stops it or... I don't know what exactly it does, but it collects it at short intervals, um, and it can tell you, like, the number of cache misses and so on that have happened. Yeah, it does timer interrupts and tells you where it is and it samples of performance counters uh, at different places. Yeah, which is, um, like, a few percent performance difference. It's hard to even notice. Yeah, but it does a very good job. I mean, if you've got one lousy instruction that's taking time, it will that will show up after enough samples. Uh yeah, that, oh, that tool is called Valgrind. Uh, is that mispronouncing it? Valgrind? Valgrind, yeah. It that's, uh, comes from the name of some mythological Norse dude, <laughs> I think. <laughs> you think it means grind on values, but it's not that at all. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we are we're way past our hour mark, mm -hmm. um, so we should, we should probably wind down here. Is there any... It we're past the, past the hour <laughs> mark. <laughs> Is there any uh, last questions or comments? Anyone? Anyone? Well, my observation is people should go in and try Fold if they're in J. Um, if only to the more people that do, the more likely Fold will become quicker because it'll convert it into C. And the weirder this boxing glove gets. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, we'll upgrade to a new glove. <laughs> um, and also, you'll learn a lot about, about the, the assumptions you're making about some of the ways you're replacing loops because it does... It does break it open and give you new power, which means that you have to look at these things quite closely as Connor's various types of post and pre and omni uh, show. You, you, When you're used to doing it a certain way, it's a simple tool. And then when it opens up, now you have to start thinking about how you're using it, but you get the power of that. So it's it's worth looking at for sure. Yeah. And 
K's forwards and backwards slash Q's. Definitely look at those two. They're really fascinating. Well, we'll, we'll don't look at them yet. We'll have an episode on it. <laughs> then you can look at it. Right. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, Henry. This has been, like I said, even even better than I was hoping for. Uh, so much food for thought and uh, uh, learned a ton. And definitely we'll be playing around a, a bit more of this stuff and maybe be doing some uh, Linux perf profiling stuff because, uh, yeah, this this stuff is super exciting. And uh, I think we'll throw it to Bob once again for if you want to give us feedback on this episode or questions for Henry or whatever it is, you can reach us at contact at arraycast.com. It remains the same. It's, it's a constant in your life. If you want to get in touch with us, contact at arraycast.com. Thank you again to uh, Igor and Sanjay for the work they do on transcribing. We were a little late last week or last two weeks ago, getting the transcription out. I think we were like 10 hours late those things happen but we got it up as soon as we can hopefully this will arrive with transcription intact that is the plan awesome yeah once again henry thanks for for coming on and spending all your valuable time with us this is uh this has been awesome think about tpls and with that we will say happy array programming happy Happy array programming. programming